Welcome to The Omnibus Show, a program for people who are interested in everything, with deep conversations on a wide variety of subjects. And now, your host, Dave Gibbs. Well, hello, and welcome to this episode of The Omnibus Show, a program for people who are interested in everything, with deep conversations on a wide variety of subjects. Today's guest is Sue Finkham. She's been a businesswoman with many companies, and most recently, she's the founder and CEO of Firestarter, a full-service marketing agency. And in the healthcare industry, she has had leading positions at Indiana University Health, St. Vincent Health, and OrthoIndy. In the nonprofit sector, she has been a director in the Indiana Donor Network, and her list of experience goes on. As city councilwoman, she has represented the Northeast District going on 12 years now, and currently she is the candidate for the position of Carmel Mayor. Welcome, Sue. Thank you. It's Thanks great for to having have me. you here. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us. Well, going right into it, could you please tell us about your background? And we'll start with your business journey. Sure. It's a journey that no guidance counselor would ever draw out <laughs> because it's very <laughs> convoluted. Uh, but, you know, I started in sports medicine mm -hmm. and took care of athletes that were injured, but quickly pivoted into the industrial setting, treating injured workers. And uh, that got me into ergonomics consulting. And, of course, if I wanted to be a consultant, I had to devise, devise the programs, sell them, deliver them. So that got me into marketing and PR oh, yeah. and communications. So really since 2004, I've been full-time marketing, wow. uh, except for a two-year stint where I took a, I went into an HR field because I really wanted that experience to build on my executive portfolio. Mm -hmm. So People uh, management. It is people management. Everything we do is about people, right? And I mm -hmm. want to make sure I had that employee relations piece uh, so I could be a more effective executive down the road. So for the most part, since 2004, I've been in marketing and helping tell stories and helping make sure I can communicate on behalf of corporations, which lends itself well to marketing a city, for sure. Oh, exactly. And is there a particular position, um, I'll, I'll say aside from your, your current company mm -hmm. in marketing, that, that you would say was particularly helpful uh, towards being a, a city councilwoman and, and a future mayor? That's a great question. I'm not sure that there's any one that I could pick out. I think all of them I can take learnings and pieces from and apply them and build upon, you know, to be a city councilor or a future potential mayor. I think one volunteer role I had was probably more impactful, and mm. I was a national committee chair for the National Athletic Trainers Association. Mm -hmm. It had 40,000 members, and my committee represented 40,000 of those, or 40% of those. And so I learned how to advocate. I learned how to be a go-between between the athletic trainers in the field and the National Association. I helped athletic trainers uh, change their state practice act, so, you know, governmental affairs relationships. Uh, so I think that was probably the most interesting piece in my career, and I think what really got me intrigued with advocacy and representing people. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's very good, because that, that's a big part of being a mayor, isn't it? It is. And working on the city council. So how did all of this lead you in a, toward politics in a political direction? You know, when I was traveling as a consultant, I wasn't here in Indiana very much. I grew up in Michigan, moved mm -hmm. to Indiana later after college. But 
when I finally got roots back in Indiana after being in airplanes and cars a lot, um, I really didn't like the fact the state of Indiana wasn't paying our schools right for the, the dollars they needed to run. And that got me paying attention to politics and what parties were in power and who were the people at the head of those parties and really just started to learn. Um, I was a fortunate enough to be chosen to be part of the Luger series, which is a Republican training program for women, mm -hmm. which teaches you about how to be, how to do anything in a campaign, volunteer, finance, campaign manager, candidate, and the like. And I think that experience really opened my eyes and I thought, I'm going to use my marketing and PR background to help a candidate or two someday down the road. And I did. Um, but then we'd moved here in uh, 2007 and uh, I was a marketing director for a local hospital at the time and really involved in the, in the community and with, with Mayor Brainerd's administration and really got to be excited about the vision he was selling and, and, and putting into place. Uh, and I saw an opportunity to run in my district. I was dissatisfied with the person that was there and kept thinking, I am going to help whoever, whoever runs against him. And that didn't happen. So I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try uh -huh. and see where that takes me. So that's kind of the path. It wasn't any kind of lightning aha moment where I said, sure. I I'm meant to be in this role. But I felt like here's an opportunity for me to use my skills to hopefully better the representation people in my district, Carmel, deserve. Uh -huh. And now it's 12 years later. And now it's 12 years later, which went by in a flash. I can't believe it. Uh, and here we were again, right, with uh, Mayor Brainerd announcing that he was not going to run again and thinking, um, how can I better the city of Carmel with the business experience that I have, with the passion for serving that I have? Am I the right fit at the right time, you know, in our in our history and our journey? And uh, took some time after... Um, Mayor Brenner announced he wasn't running to talk to people and really felt like what I bring uh, is what people are looking for moving mm -hmm. forward. So he yeah, jumped in with both feet. Well, there you go. That's how you do it, isn't it? <laughs> <clears throat> well, in the 12-year span that you've, you've been in office, what is, I want to ask a different kind of question. Okay. What is a, um, something that would be like, um, what's something that you've learned along the way that helped you be a more efficient helper. If I does that make sense? How yeah. you can connect your office and what you're doing in city council with your community. So I was the first one that did town halls and a newsletter, and so I think I helped. What, what I learned when it, when I first got on council is I wasn't hearing from people. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And I know people are busy with their lives, and if you don't hear from them, they're probably pretty happy. Mm -hmm. But I just knew certain things we were debating people were interested in, because I'd hear it at, you know, going to a show, like here at Feinstein sure, Club, sure. or, I, you know, out with friends. So I'm like, they have to be wondering these same things throughout my whole district. So I really try to aggressively outreach, mm -hmm. and I think it was well-received. So I think I learned that, that you have to really work hard at trying to get your message across. I met with someone from Home Place last week, and we have a lot of communication vehicles in place now. The city's got a more advanced website than it ever did. We do a, a weekly <clears throat> newsletter that's electronic. We do one that's printed. And he still felt like he wasn't being communicated with. And I feel like you just have to be very intentional about communication and invite people in. Mm -hmm. So I think from those experiences is why I've also said, I want to make sure that I do a citywide survey if, get a, if I get elected to really make sure we're seeking feedback yes. and seeking to understand what our um, constituents really want or yes. dream for. So I think that was a big takeaway. Oh, great. 
Well, it is good learning that and, and having the connection with with local people. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so moving on to the mayor of Carmel, what what drew you toward wanting to be for the office for the mayor? So sitting there for 12 years, right, and being able to work um, closely with Mayor Brainerd and our other counselors who over the over the 12 years have come and gone, I got to see, you know, firsthand the problems that we have to solve, mm -hmm. uh, the challenges that we have to work around, uh, yes. funding uh, often being one of them, uh, how you respond to things that you can't control, uh, you know, outside of your, your span of control within the city. And uh, all that really excited me. And I really want to take what I've learned in the business world uh, and apply it to government. I know there's some people that say you can't run government like a business. And I agree it's not apples to apples. Right. But gosh, there are learnings we can apply. Sure. Um, you know, starting with developing an incredible culture, you know, having employees like a nonprofit uh, align with the mission, vision, values of what we are trying to do to serve our community and doubling down and investing in people. Because we can't do anything if our if our employees at the city of Carmel don't feel valued, and don't feel supported. Mm -hmm. So um, that's something that we can bring from the nonprofit world and the business world as well, uh, the for profit world. Um, making sure that we have every dollar assigned. You know, every dollar has a name to what it's going to fix and what it's going to help and how it's going to serve. So you know, wiping out our budget and starting with a with a zero based budget and. You know, all the fiscal lessons that go along with maintaining close fiscal control. So some of those things that I saw that we were challenged with, I felt like, hey, I really can bring this business angle to this and make a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a performance improvement person. I want to just constantly dial in and, and um, tune in and make things better. Uh, I think that comes from my sports medicine background a little bit. You know, for sure. hours I would stand on the sideline of a football practice, for instance, at Division One football, and watch coaches work with offensive linemen and literally just change their stance from instead of on fingertips to knuckles to the, the heel of their hand and trying to get another half second of speed or another sure. advantage over their opponent. And, you know, I've kind of modeled some of – I don't know if that thinking is what drew me to sports medicine or that sports medicine lesson is what drew me to the business, mm -hmm. but having the perspective of there's always ways we can get improvements – and, you know, small little changes, if you're paying attention, make a big difference sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of stuff. I'm a little bit of a business wonk. Sure. Uh, and it, it excites me. And I feel also it's a good approach to follow Mayor Brainerd, yes. right? He's incredible visionary. Um, and he's set this community on the map worldwide with our transportation network of roundabouts mm -hmm. and our urban built environment and the incredible quality of life we have here. And I feel like I can keep all of that going, having been there for 12 years, but also start dialing in some business things and make sure we reduce waste, improve efficiency, improve employee satisfaction, improve community communication. Mm -hmm. And I know one of the big issues, um, Jeff Worrell was mm -hmm. on here previously, and I asked him to explain the debt issue, which I think with the nature of our <clears throat> demographics, there is a great concern of, of what all that means in the usage of money, debt, and so forth. And I think he explained that quite well. And that will obviously be a challenge for your, um, you know, being, if you become the mayor, that will be a challenge for, um, you know, the next years ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've come out of an incredible decade or so where we have been able to borrow at very, very low cost. 
-hmm. It's allowed us to do a lot more. We can make use the tax dollar tax dollars much more efficiently yeah. and effectively. Oh, the old saying about what got us here today won't get us there tomorrow really applies mm -hmm. uh, in how we leverage taxpayer dollars to get taxpayer dollars to get stuff done. We uh, have to be much more cautious, much more flexible. We are in a more volatile environment right now. Um, there's a lot of talk at the state house about uh, potentially completely going away with um, income tax. Well, as a taxpayer, that makes me happy, uh, as it would, I'm sure, all of our constituents who pay income tax. As a someone who's managing a city budget, that's a significant portion of our budget. Sure. So how do we maintain that revenue so we can continue delivering services like plowing roads and filling potholes and having a safe environment, which is exactly what our residents want us to do. How can we do that in a way that um, is still high level uh, without raising taxes? So um, I think you know we may not see, we may not be able to do the same kind of borrowing we've done in the past. That's fine, but we have to make sure we have fiscal flexibility yes. and um, can explain to the taxpayers how we're using their dollars, which I'm also passionate about, making sure we're extremely transparent, putting our budget and our plans and our success or failure against those plans online so our residents can see it whenever they want. Yes. You, know, you can log in and see your checkbook. You can see how your dollars are spent. I think that same consideration should be given to our taxpayers mm -hmm. uh, with you know, how we communicate. I think that's a good idea. And that, observing that, it would be good toward helping people be more locally oriented because mm -hmm. they would be aware of that. And um, that always seems a challenge. You know, back on the tax issue, would yeah. that, would the legislation, because this is something that's beyond my uh, purview, is the, um, would that be a flat tax that they're suggesting? They have a tax uh, you know, task tax force. On, on, on products and so forth, like right. flat fees. They have a, the state legislature has started a task, <laughs> has started a tax task force. Say that five times fast. Say that fast. five times fast. And uh, they're going to look at all of these different taxes, is my understanding. Okay. Sales tax, income tax, business personal property tax, and then property tax. Yes. You know, those are four major income sources for local government. And so I think they're looking at all of that to determine what can make us more economically uh, um uh, feasible, if you will, what, what can be economically feasible locally, mm -hmm. what would make us um, be attractive for people to move here to get jobs to make sure we have the right workforce for all of our economic initiatives. So they're looking at all that. I don't know how long it'll take them to study that, but that's just getting underway. Okay. They're going to hear from locals, though, that if they do away with one tax, they have to help us find a replacement income. Sure. Uh, you mean with local government? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. local government. Because they'll have to transition on that. Correct. To sort of create a new structure. Correct. That makes sense. Well, that'd be good. Well, thank you, Sue. Yes. Well, we're going to take a break right now, and we'll be back soon with Chapter 2 in our interview with Sue Finkham. Well, hello and welcome back. We're in Chapter 2 now in our interview with Sue Finkham who is running for the office of mayor of Carmel, Indiana. Well, Sue, um, you were talking at the end of the last chapter about um, certain perspectives you learn as a, as a city councilwoman. Um, Jim Brainerd, who's, who's been a big visionary for the city, um, has 
you know, like I've said before, it's like following Bobby Knight, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's different. Bobby Knight was a very different personality, but you right. know what I'm saying. Someone who's so big, he's got big shoes, um, he's got big, tall, sh- tall shoes, is um, could you tell us about your continuity plan? Sure. I think that um, the good news is we've got an incredible community, yeah. so we don't have to have this massive change uh, you know, program that we have to put in place. Mm-hmm. Things are running uh, really well, but there's op- uh, opportunities for improvement all along. So one of the first things I want to do, as I mentioned earlier, was do a large community-wide survey mm-hmm. uh, and, and gain uh, insights into our community. That's my marketing background, right, to make sure we're saturating ourselves with the voice of the customer, so to speak. Uh, once we have that, develop the city's first community-endorsed strategic plan and make that available, uh, what our action plans are on that and our scorecard against that, make that available for residents to see. I'm also really... Uh, Forgive me, yes. the, the, when you say the strategy plan, what you want to do is kind of do bullet points of division and then uh, send that out to um, the citizenry to get their input, their input and... Um, so you can keep a, a local conversation going. Correct. And I think that also helps educate people what we're doing. It also feels, makes them feel that they're more a part of the future of Carmel. Mm-hmm. I think with the massive growth we've had in the last eight years in particular, uh, many people feel like they're on the sidelines of their own community, and I want to invite them in. And it's also something if we get people talking about that and more united in their community, they're united as a community as a whole mm-hmm. too, right? So um, that's job one, working with the community um, to invite them into different uh, committees like something on transportation, uh, arts commission, uh, fiscal um, investments. Like we have incredible talent. We have world changers and world leaders right here in Carmel. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we invite them in to participate more at a higher level? Um, So I want to do some of that as well. Um, One of the things I hear door to door all the time is crime prevention. Uh, so making sure that uh, we have our police force fully equipped and trained and staffed um, and they feel supported to do their job to make sure our, our residents feel safe. If we even blink on crime prevention, all these amazing amenities we put in place, the parks and the trails and uh, our amazing uh, streetscapes, people won't feel the same walking on them if they don't feel safe. So mm-hmm. that's that's a very, very important initiative for me as well. And I'm really happy to say I got the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police endorsement, both in the spring and in the fall. Oh, really? So yeah. I feel like they're great partners in this venture too. Yes. Um, I'm also really passionate about economic development. One of the reasons we have low taxes here is we have a lot of corporate partners, a lot of mm-hmm. companies that are here in the community. Uh, Mayor Brainerd has done a lot of our economic development. With him leaving, we need to make sure we have someone who's a data-driven economic development professional here uh, to hunt for business and make sure that as um, business are growing, expanding here, we retain them, and also we're looking for new ones to come to the market. So um, that's an initiative I feel passionate about as well. Um, And, you know, make sure we're, we're really trying to support our international community. I think people don't understand how international we really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the school has an interesting statistic that 102 languages are spoken in the homes of kids that go to Carmel schools mm-hmm. from 78 countries. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And so I propose we also build an international center that could both serve as an economic development initiative, but also something that unites us as a community around art and food and faith and culture, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe 
Uh, we're highlighting Ethiopian food and culture. In the next week or two, we're, we're looking at um, uh, Ireland or Nigeria or England, whatever it might be, right? But we're really trying to, through food and art and fun, we're also learning about each other. So. Well, food's going to be there. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, <clears throat> um, will you expand the Sister City program if you're mayor? Yeah, I think we should. Being, being a, following up on your yeah. international. Yeah. Because we've got the beautiful uh, Japanese park. Yes. And I think that that's a huge opportunity to have them involved <laughs> in the international community as well as uh, our international arts festival you know the mm -hmm. folks that run that and participate in that all the time i think if we just put a bigger strategy and invite more people in uh, i think we get some really fun things come out of that and i look forward to having those conversations i'm actually meeting here i think next month with the sister city organizations oh nice to, to get you know to learn and to listen and to introduce myself and let, allow them to ask questions too well that that's good i think having you know um i've been on sister city um committee down in indianapolis at one point and one thing that I learned that um, after coming out of World War II, President Eisenhower was really the starting point of that um, organization. And he saw that as really um, very helpful, it's like pre-politics, where you have cultural exchange. And it's always harder to get in a fight with somebody when you know them. Agree. You know? And I think that was a very strong idea that he helped start. And... Um, that with all the craziness that's out there, having those connections is a very a positive um, civic opportunity. Agree. I always say good government <clears throat> starts with good dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so you have to, as going back to our conversation earlier, be very intentional about seeking that dialogue. Yes. Uh, and I think if we have better discourse, we are able to make better decisions, uh, which will hopefully then lead to a more vibrant community, uh, one that is more aligned with what the government is doing, and also um, we're more aligned with what the citizens want as a result. So. Sure. And now looking at the other side of the ledger is, yeah. um, what would you say are some of the greatest challenges that um, are before you if you become the mayor? So I think one of the first challenges that I'm concerned about is that the revenue piece, because there are a lot of unknowns out there. Mm -hmm. So I think the way you combat that is to make sure you have built-in fiscal flexibility. I mentioned that earlier. So that if something comes out of left field that you didn't control and you didn't see coming, we do have those occasional unfunded mandates from the federal government. Uh, you know, when the when the tax caps went in place, you know, with uh, Governor Daniels in place, that was certainly something that was unexpected. Yeah. So I think we have to expect the unexpected and plan for something to be surprising. And so I, I'm, I would say not concerned, but maybe um, aware okay. of the need for that. I want to make sure that one of the first things we do is, is start to point our ship in, more in the direction of flexibility. I think um, we also have, you know, housing concerns here. Uh, only 20 houses went on the market a couple of weeks ago. So we've got people who aren't moving without mobility. It's hard to... Um, you know, truly meet your workforce needs. Mm -hmm. We know we have an affordability problem in some cases, which really experts will say, call that attainability because it's hard to determine and define what affordability really means in different communities. So I think we have to be looking at that. We also have concerns from our constituents about the type of development we've had the last few years. Uh, many people are concerned about the number of apartments we've brought online. This is a very hyper-local yes. issue. Yeah. 
But I think one we need to be very careful of, I've committed to doing a housing study to really look at what our, um, our inventory of homes is and types of houses are, um, whether we say housing, but housing situations, uh, rental, for sale, for sale, single family homes, for sale, you know, multifamily, all of that. See what our inventory is and determine what our needs are, not mm. just here in Carmel, but you know, in Hamilton County and central Indiana because it all impacts us. Sure. Um, but I feel like we do need more for sale product here and we do get asked a lot for condos where families who've been in a four bedroom, two and a half bath, half acre lot household want to downsize and there's nowhere to go with sure. those high amenities in a walkable area. So I feel like we've got opportunities there too. So, and I mentioned crime prevention as well. Those are kind of my top things I want to make sure we keep an eye on and take action toward. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that being a citizen here is that, um, as, you, as you mentioned earlier, people who feel like things are getting out of the control type of thing, the growth of, of those type of locations, that's probably one thing that I've observed mm-hmm. that, that people would be concerned about. Because <clears throat> it's mostly, you know, um, homes and so forth and uh, condominiums where there's a large number what do you call that? Multi multi-family, multi-family, mm-hmm. correct? Or multi-use? Yeah, multi-use, because they're they're really um, multi-use, like on 116th Street in Range Line, mm-hmm. um, where you, you're getting quite a few of those popping up, growing up. So that seemed to be one of the things, and and I would think that the integration of that into the more traditional home community would be um, that would be a, a concern for people of you know big growth. Right type of um, type of a thing. Now here's here's my question out of left field is um, <clears throat> transportation because Carmel is now its own place. It it was a suburb forever, and now it's it's kind of its own place. It's it's grown apart from Indianapolis, and it's become its own des- destination city, and so. Um, has there been discussion about things like uh, taxis and, and buses and, um, you know, future, uh, I don't know if rail, rail is quite an infrastructure cost. It, is. it really is. Because Indianapolis in the last decade had that issue and then they settled on the red line with buses. Yep. Is that, um, you know, going on with the greatest challenges ahead, is that something that's been factored in by the council? Well, we have been talking about it since I got on council 12 years ago, mm-hmm. right? And um, I think there was a little bit of a wait and see attitude with what the red line did and how, we, how it progressed and how successful it was. There's been discussions about <clears throat> an uh, intra-county circulator and an inter-county circulator. I know there are employers now going down to meet the bus at the end of the line to pick up people and bring them into Hamilton County. Um, there's a lot of carpool opportunities. So... Um, Uber was solving, Uber and Lyft were solving a problem we had before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Now there aren't as many available in Hamilton County as before. I see. So I feel like we need to be open uh, and, and at the table for transportation options because we do need to get people here to work who can't live here and can't afford it. Um, but, you know, right around the, the corner, experts say, are driverless cars. Right, which could solve a problem for transportation okay. in some opportunities. Um, so I'm not a big fan of a super huge investment 
especially with technology changing at the speed of light right now. Yes. Um, because what the investment the red line is with those buses may be something completely different in four to five years. So I think that's something we have to stay ahead of technology, stay in the conversation, but still keep talking. I do feel like we could do something really unique with the cities in Hamilton County, especially Westfield, Noblesville, Fishers, and Carmel, mm-hmm. to have a circulator going between our communities. Yes. We have few people who need to get to physician Forgive offices. me, when you say circulator, mm-hmm. do you mean like a, like a light rail, or would that be some kind of like a bus transport? I think more bus, van, those type of trolley, okay. those type of opportunities. Again, I'd rather walk before we run with, gotcha. a, with a type of solution here mm-hmm. to make sure we don't um, inappropriately use taxpayer dollars on something that doesn't work. Sure. Right? I said for years we should start gaining trust in public transplant, transport by, um, when we have our big events, having buses run from the east side and the west side and the south side into a central core mm-hmm. to get people used to using buses. And um, there is a little bit of a fear factor because if it's something I haven't done before sure. or if it's something I'm unfamiliar with, you know, I don't want to do something first. Um, I still think there's room for, for testing and trial there uh, while we look at technology and while we look at circulators. I think on-demand transportation is going to be the next wave of what we do just because it's more reliable. It's um, easier to do where I call up and get a bus to come to my you know curb to take me to the curb of a doctor's office. Or sure. Something. So I see us continue to talk about that. And I would think with the, with the increasing aging population yes. that we have here in America that and here in Hamilton County, that that would be a growing concern with, am I correct? Yes. Yeah. And Prime Life Enrichment, which is a great nonprofit here, offer some door-to-door transportation. Um, unfortunately, the demand is greater than they can provide. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other organizations within the county that's done the same. So I know there's conversations that continue about how to fund those, how to increase the access and availability, reliability of those, and I'm a fan of that. Okay. Well, that sounds very interesting, and um, I'm sure the discussions are, are, are really heating up on that. So say you become mayor. Okay. How do you foresee, um, <clears throat> not knowing how many times you would be in office, but um, how do you see Carmel in 10 years from now? That's a great question. You know, a lot of that depends, first of all, on our, our external environment, mm-hmm. um, you know, recessions and uh, the like. But I see that Carmel continuing to thrive, continuing to be leaders. As I mentioned, there's world changers and world leaders here, and we need to apply that same thinking to our city government. Yes. I see us as um, one that takes has taken really good fiscal management um, uh, for the tax dollars. I see one that people feel like they're engaged in the community. Uh, we've continued from a development standpoint to fill out some of our areas that will develop naturally. US 31 corridor is one example where we've got a lot of empty parking lots. Mm. Uh, we will have increased development. Like I'm sure at some point Merchant Square will turn over again. East side of uh, range line will probably grow in, um, but in more t- intentional ways to make sure that yeah. we're we're developing, attracting business, and making sure those condos and single family homes available. Um, so I see a slower pace of growth. I see us still being highly attractive and desirable. I still see us being a highly educated, art supporting community, um, and hopefully I see us as one that's maybe bucking the trend instead of being more polarized be more united. Okay. And maybe I'm a little Pollyanna there, but I think if we're intentional about making opportunities for people to understand each other and support each other, we can make some inroads there. Okay. Um, 
thank you very much. Mm -hmm. the The question that was going in my mind while you were talking about the different um, locations, like the mall near Keystone, um, and we talked about multi-use um, locations. Do you see the like the malls, the strip malls, and the malls um, changing in their structure and how they're used? Because I know I've been in some cities. I'm thinking of um, my experience in Vancouver, BC, and in Liverpool, England, where you had just an enormous amount of multi-use structures that built on each other. Right. And um, is that discussed? Is that I'm just that's I'm thinking you know in the future that right. would be something that the community would be um, interested in. Well, if you look even in our backyard here with Clay Terrace, mm -hmm. the owners of that have determined that while they did a great thing, it was one of the first open-air kind of malls, yeah. uh, that they had kind of made a mistake and not put housing there. Because ah. in the evening, it, the traffic dies off, it's not as vibrant, and if they had people living there, going down to get a cup of coffee at 8 o'clock at night, or meeting a friend for a cocktail, or you know, they could also shop and support the retail. So you see a big section of the now is torn out where they're putting in apartments, a parking garage, a hotel, a big office um, plaza okay. building. Uh, for that mixed use, right, so that we can have, use the same land, but for different uses. So it may be busy during the day for office, mm -hmm. busy at night for re for residential and retail uh, uses. So it's already happened across the country. There's discussions at Greenwood Park Mall about what that should look like in the future. Mm. Circle City Mall, right, is turning over, right? And there's some conversation about is that, should that become more residential? I so see. it's definitely mm -hmm. happening. And, you know, I know I have a friend, a developer on the East Coast who is in just that uh, space where they mm -hmm. uh, take the anchor tenants of malls and make them condos, but leave the retail in the middle of the mall. So interesting conversations, you know, again. Yeah, it is because, you know, with increased population, I mean, how many decades ago was Carmel like 20,000 people? Now yeah, long time. <laughs> over 100,000 yes. people. Um, <clears throat> that's something that, you know, space is always... Um, that's always going to be a consideration as you increase in, in population. Yeah, and it depends on what city you see. We're anywhere from roughly 4 million to 10 million housing units short. Uh, and we don't have to house them all here because that's what I hear people say. Well, we don't want them all here. Oh, right. Of course not. But uh, it is a national concern about as far as the number and type of housing. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, when you look at the millennials, not even that, the, the Gen Zs, you know, the 20-somethings, and you look at the 65-plus-somethings. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of... The baby boomers. Yes, there's been a lot of um, commonality there. They like to use their dollars, their discretionary dollars, on travel and food and experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't really want a house that they have to be um, beholden to, mowing the lawn and, you know cleaning it. They want to spend their free time doing things that they that matter to them, whether it be social endeavors or whether it be philanthropic endeavors. And so uh, there's a lot of interesting correlators between those two age groups. And um, what's feeding into that is they can't, they don't want for sale housing. They want rental properties, mm -hmm. right? Either they can't afford it, aren't ready yet in that stage of life or past that sure. homeowning, homeownership. So I think that's interesting. That's part of what is driving all these rental units too across the country and in Carmel. We did a study of their apartments on Monon mm -hmm. um, Boulevard. Boulevard. And over a third are 55 plus. Are they really? Mm -hmm. So everyone says, oh, there's all these youngsters down there. Not necessarily. There are people who have sold their homes at the height of the market. Uh, there's people who are renters by choice. 
Uh, there's people who are snowbirds, right? Who are watching sure. half the year and half in Florida, Florida or somewhere. So it's it's increasingly becoming renting is increasingly becoming a lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. So we have to accommodate that. We want to make sure we have housing for everybody, uh, all types of people um, in Carmel, all age groups, right? Family, no family. So uh, it's a challenge for sure because that that needle does change. Yeah, and that's thank you. That that's. Um that's I, I to me that's the big challenge is mm-hmm. increasing population, economic challenges, and housing challenges for all kinds of people, absolutely um, of different age and economic strata. Um, well, thank you, Sue. Thank you. Best wishes on your candidacy. Thank you so much. And um, thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. It was great to have you here. Well, thank you for being with us. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Hotel Carmichael. Today, we're shooting at Feinstein's. We look forward to being with you in our next episode of The Omnibus Show. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Omnibus Show. If you enjoyed this program, please like, share, and subscribe to continue the conversation. For the Omnibus Show newsletter, please sign up at theomnibusshow.com.